Welcome to When Pigs Fly. We're a podcast that's uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history dating back from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and the downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply post to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Allie Martin. And I'm your other co-host, Patrick Bailey. And today, we will be talking with Chris Mann. He is a franchisee owner of the Woodhouse Day Spa, so he owns three locations here in the region, and he's also the president of the Cincinnati Chapter of Entrepreneurs Organization. So you might be like, what is the what is EO? What is Entrepreneurs Organization? It is a global business network of over 12,000 business owners in 173 chapters, and it's in 54 countries, so he is spearing heading the chapter here in Cincinnati. So it's a way for oh, entrepreneurs to get together, yeah, and and learn from each other. So with this podcast, we're going to be kind of splitting it into two pieces. We're going to talk about being a franchisee owner and what is it like to be in that world because we haven't mm. really had that discussion yet. And you know what what is the involvement of EO here in the city? And I'm expecting that we will learn a lot uh, from both uh, talking about fr- the franchisee model yeah. and also, you know, what uh, are Chris's gleanings from being, you know, the chapter president for EO. So yeah, super excited to, to bring him in. Um, for today's History Nugget, Allie, mm-hmm. I actually found a little gem here on the west side that I did not even know about. I found a 200 plus year old spring. So back Ooh, in the old days, you're speaking my language. <laughs> back in the old days, they would go to springs to rest and relax, right? That was their forms of spas back then. Yeah. And over here on the west side, uh, Delhi had the Delhi Spring House. So it's actually still there today on the corner of Delhi Pike and Mayhew Avenue, which Ooh. a 200-year-old building, pretty rare to find still. So, uh, you know, go check that out if you are listening. Um, but you you know, I'm guessing it's a little bit different than spas today. Uh, I Either way, I'm here for a nice spa relaxation experience. Let's just like hit the gong and bring him in. Okay, Chris, man, we are so excited to have you here on When Pigs Fly. So as we stated in the intro, you are the owner of three Woodhouse Day Spas, the Cincinnati, Dayton, and Liberty Township locations, and you are also the president of Entrepreneurs Organization, the Cincinnati chapter here. So throughout this podcast, I would like to split these two train of thoughts, right? We're going to talk about first what it's like to uh, operate Woodhouse Day Spas, and then eventually we'll move into the EO group. So right yeah. off the bat, you know, welcome. Give us a little Thank background you. as to how you got to where you are today and especially launching the Woodhouse Day Spas. I, uh, well, I used to work in radio. So, nice. um, <laughs> and then I saw the writing on the wall. I said, oh my God, these podcasters are coming around. I'm going to be out of work in 10 years. What am I going to do? So I better try and find something else, uh, uh, you know, find my plan B. So I started looking for a business. I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I think I was a pretty bad employee. Most entrepreneurs are, I think. But yeah, so then I started looking for a, for a business, and I found an article on uh, Jenny Garrett, who is the founder of Woodhouse Day Spas, and um, in Entrepreneur Magazine. And I said, oh, that looks like kind of a cool concept. Um, you know, I didn't want to do anything that had to do with food. I didn't want to take pictures of pets. So <laughs> I was like, oh, Day Spa sounds pretty good. And um, yeah, here we are. So we opened in 2007, and... Uh, you know, have opened uh, several other locations since then. So, so I guess what was the cat- catalyst? I guess like, hmm, like I want to go down this you know route of finding a business, right, and franchising it locally. Yeah. So um, my catalyst was that um, things that our corporate office would do uh, in the when I worked in radio would just annoy me. Um, <laughs> I had a bad boss uh, who I just didn't like working for and I wanted to hmm. do my own thing and, and try and be a good boss to <laughs> people that worked for me. Um, so that's kind of how the whole business started, like how I wanted to mm-hmm. you know, go out and do, you know, do my own thing. Um, I, the reason I picked a franchise is because I knew I was good with marketing and I was good with um, people and management and stuff like mm-hmm. that, building teams. But um, I didn't have a lot of experience with like logistical sort of things like point of sale systems mm-hmm. or inventory ordering, um, things like that. So I thought that the franchise model would give me some support 
um, in that regard, and and it and it and it did. So, okay, so you're kind of deciding what franchise you're gonna choose, correct? You said no food, no pets. Yep. yep. <laughs> so you landed on services. You found Woodhouse Day Spot. Was there another option that you were thinking about at this time, or was it always like? Hmm, like nope. services and hospitality. Yeah. Nope. I knew it when I saw it. I'm like, boom, that's it. That's it. Because <laughs> I wanted to do something high end. Mm-hmm. There's really not a lot of high end franchises. No. Fran- when you think about a franchise, a lot of people think like kind of low rent, um, you know, well, like you think uh, fast food. Yeah. Or like, you know, pack and ship or, or you know, stuff. I, you know, it just didn't appeal to me. So this one, um, you know, it was a smaller franchise. It was a, you know, that we call it a boutique franchise. And, uh, yeah, where, where were they and, at the time? Because there's over I 70 think, spas across 21 states. When did you hop on board? Uh, I think we were number 13. If that, oh, so I, you I'm were pretty super, sure. You were we were really pretty early. Fresh to it. Yeah. Were yeah. there other spas that you were looking at? Because I just have this picture. Uh, I just have this vision of you like basically sitting like you are right now, flipping through a magazine and being like, mm, Okay, this sounds good. Like this That's is going to exactly be the brand. That's exactly how it was. Except I wasn't in my office. I was in bed, and <laughs> I was reading it in bed. And I looked at my wife, and I was like, "What do you think about this?" And she's like, "Yeah, whatever. Probably another one of your stupid ideas." I, and then, yeah, there we here we are. I love it was pretty quick too. I love this mindset. I would like to kind of elaborate that a little bit more. Of this again a winging it mindset, but you were strategic enough where you knew that you had to pivot out of your previous career in radio. What, what is your thought behind that, that you're very kind of free flowing and it doesn't seem like you over strategize too much though? Well, okay. So I am a a sort of a free flowing sort of guy, but I'm a believer that you kind of know what, know it when you see it. Mm. Yeah. So, um, I had been looking for a business for like years. It wasn't yeah. just one of those things where I just kind of picked it up. But I, you know, I'd been poking around mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of trying to figure out what was next. Um, I had a job interview in New York uh, in radio and mm-hmm. decided I didn't want to live in New York. And you know, if you're in radio and you yeah. don't want to live in New York, it's like you're being you're, <laughs> like, why bother? Yeah. Right? Like, New York it's not like you're making of, a ton of money doing it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. New York is sort of the end of the line. And I was like, yeah. man, if I'm not going to don't want to go to New York, I probably should look for something mm-hmm. else. So. Um, you know, I, I and then I, I just kind of stumbled upon it. So once I stumbled upon it, though, I was very diligent about looking at the financials mm-hmm. and, you know. Yeah. What uh, resources do you use to, like, research this, right? Like, I know Ali jokingly said, like, I imagine you looking in a magazine, like, I'm going to start a spa. But, like, are there any resources out there to, like, do the, like you said, the due diligence on what franchise you want to start? Sure. So, um uh, at the time, I was 29, and um, I didn't really have a whole lot of experience it, with that. But I hired a lawyer, had him review the franchise agreement. Um, you know, I had a financial advisor that looked it over, and they both told me that um, they 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 weren't sure about the franchise because it was so new. And I kind of ignored them and just did it anyway. Um, you know, <laughs> just rolled the dice. It was a big gamble. And now I would say, you know, looking at my my, my future self looking at my past self, I would say certainly engage a lawyer. But one thing I learned is that, you know, when you pay a lawyer to review a contract or when you pay a lawyer to do anything, they're going to tell you every possible thing that's wrong under the planet Earth and because they don't <laughs> yeah. want to, you know, they don't want to have any right. So and that now what scare I do, you from continuing. Yeah. What I do now is I read the document, which I don't think most people do. Like I personally read the document. And I I note I make all my notes right, yeah. so I've got a whole color coding situation that I do. Make all my notes, then I send it back to whoever I'm working with, yeah. uh, whether it be a landlord and I'm negotiating a lease, or in this case a franchise agreement. And I go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then after I get what I think I want, then I send it to the lawyer. Hmm. So I'm not paying the lawyer for a hundred different revisions. So what are um, some like through, let's take your first round with the contract. What are some things that a young entrepreneur who may be looking to franchise should look for? Well, in, in, in a franchise contract, it's almost universally weighted towards the franchisor and not the franchisee. Mm-hmm. Pretty much you sign this document and they can do anything they want to you and you have no rights. I mean, literally that's pretty much what every franchise document I've yeah. ever seen says. So, consistency, yeah. Yeah. And it, but I mean, it's, it's like detailed, you know, it's a couple hundred pages long mm-hmm. and um, 
basically it gives you zero rights and gives them every right under the sun to do anything they want to you ever. And also it's very difficult to get them to change these agreements because they have to register them with the federal trade commission and stuff. And they have, there's a whole bunch of, they have to be registered in every state. There's a lot of things that go to this franchise contract, this agreement. So getting them to change it is almost impossible. impossible. So Mm -hmm. it's almost like you're buying into the people. Like, do you believe in the company leadership? Do you believe in the the mission? Do you think you can be a good operator? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, every franchise, it's not, it's not as cookie cutter as you would think. I mean, there's good and bad McDonald's franchisees. There's good and bad Woodhouse franchisees. There's good and bad Dunkin' Donuts franchisees, whatever the, you know, whatever the thing is. Don't hate on the Dunkin'. Yeah. Oh, I love Dunkin'. Look, I got my Dunkin' right here. I'm holding, yep. (laughs) So um, it really, you know, people think that you buy a franchise and it's like, you know, the owner can, you know, step away and not do anything. It's, that's not the case. It's still a very entrepreneurial journey Mm. and we still run our business, even though it is a franchise. Um, You know, we run it, we run it. It's not it's not autopilot. So so when you first started and stepped into this role, I mean, obviously radio, this is me assuming that, you know, no radio jock is probably rolling in the dough. So from a financial perspective, what did it take to launch your first location? Yeah, I, I would like to add like, on that yeah. because I was thinking, like, there's a lot of fees to franchise. Mm-hmm. You had to hire a lawyer. You had to, and did they help you? Too? Yeah, it sounds like yeah. a a lot of cash <laughs> where yeah. the money come from yeah, yeah. so um it is a lot it is a lot of cash um and it obviously depends what franchise you buy mm. um and this one is uh not inexpensive but uh, you know with great risk comes great reward so mm-hmm. um i had stocked away money from working in radio you know we didn't get paid a whole lot to be you know for like being on air or whatever but yeah. Um, I did audio production. I was on the air in multiple markets. So, you know, I did, I did okay. And then we'd make a ton of money by going out and doing events and endorsements. Actually, Mm. Dunkin' Donuts was one of my endorsements. Nice. Um, So yeah, yeah, I was the donkey junkie. And um, so, yeah, so I did that and made some money. And then um, I had some, some, uh, some money laying around. My dad passed away when I was like 21 and left me some cash. So I used that and uh, started the, started it up. And that, that's for the first one. The second one and the third one, I took it out an SBA loan. Oh, and, oh okay. And that, um, yeah, we can go into that more. Yeah. If you want, so yeah. is that something that you recommend to people who, I guess, you know, maybe might not have. You might not be as financially smart as you. It's who wasn't sponsored by, by, by who who are by not Duncan. Duncan or Dunky Junkies. Yeah, <laughs> Dunky Junkies. Uh, yeah. So I definitely recommend it. Uh, you do. You're going to need a down payment. Um, Twenty percent is sort of a. Mm-hmm standard, at least last time I did it. Um, the first time I did SBA loan, it was 20%. The second time I had some history underneath me behind mm-hmm. me. So it was, I think I did it for 10% down. Um, so you do have to have a little lot of cash, but other than that, it's pretty easy. Like you put together a business plan, you get a good relationship with a banker. I use Huntington. I'm a big fan of them. They've done a good job for us. Um, and, uh, you fill out mounds and mounds of never ending paperwork, <laughs> and then they give you your money. So, <laughs> you know? And then, so once this is in motion too, right, you're, you're obviously, you're the franchisee. What does that build out start to look like? Because is this, is this, you're working with someone like a Jenny who knows because she's running the show, probably not. Uh, What does that interaction look like on your end with those who are in corporate of Woodhouse Day Spa? Uh, Well, it's changed, you know, it's different for every franchise and it's changed even in our franchise from the time I opened until to, to now. Yeah. When I first opened, I hired my own local architect. They gave me a hand drawing on a piece of graph paper nice. and said, these are about how the rooms should look. <laughs> Give this to an architect and have a nice day. And then they had a book, a, like a spec book that they sent us that had paint colors and the furniture and the wall sconces and all that stuff. And uh, we pretty much handled that on, here locally ourselves. And then, you know, that's evolved and uh, they've got corporate architect team designers yeah, I imagine they that, would that come they in with. and they would have to approve because the branding has to stay consistent across each spot yep. correct correct yeah so that. you know then they come in for setup and make sure that you're not you know painting your walls you know, <laughs> dark brown or something <laughs> yeah. I guess that brings up the next point like what 
what kind of contentions did you run into getting started, especially, you know, being a new franchisee owner in general, you know, what did you learn quickly that you can't really push back on? And what did you learn that you can push back on? Um, as a franchisee, well, let me, let me back up. The thing I learned most quickly is to, to not spend money. <laughs> very easy to overspend when you're doing any business project, overhead especially low, when, that overhead low. yeah, when you, you know, when the SBA hands you a boatload of money too, and they say, go have at it. And you're, you know, in, in our business, we've got, you know, we're looking at all these fun retail items and, mm-hmm. you know, advertising opportunities. And we just spend way too much money um, uh, at the outset on things like marketing and inventory and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so, are, yeah. Are you responsible then for all, advertising and marketing on a local level do, how do do they assist with you at all do they assist yeah um, the higher yeah. corporate level to again it depends on the franchise so most franchises have a marketing fee that's built into the royalty payment mm-hmm. um we always have had that in our in our franchise but it's been very very low so most of the things that we've done marketing wise we have done locally on our own. Yeah. Um, they do provide support with graphic design and market, you know, campaign and brand assets and all that sort of stuff. Recently in the last, yeah, I don't know, nine months, they've upped that marketing fee. Mm-hmm. And now they are doing a lot of that for us at the corporate level. So um, our franchisor, just uh, to back up also, Jenny ended up selling the business and now we are owned by uh, a a private equity firm out of Pittsburgh. So they are trying to, you know, take it to the next level and how, scale. How is that relationship? How did they like, I, I'm, I love it. I'm, I'm great with it. Um, hmm. They're very smart. They're um, you know, again, they're, we're not a huge franchise and we're trying to put these systems in place mm-hmm. for scaling. I've been working with them too at a corporate level to, to you know, sort of help out with this. And mm-hmm. um, you know, so it's, it, they've again, good people. And- from beginning to end, how long did it take you to open up a single location? Uh, it took about a year um, from the time that we went and met them, like first trip yeah. to Texas, to the time we opened our doors. So, and I kind of want to backtrack a little bit, because and you touched up, you touched on this sort of. But if someone is looking to potentially open a franchise of their own, what are some mm-hmm. of those things that they should consider before doing so? Oh, man. Um, well, the first thing is how involved you're going to need to be in that franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some franchises that you can, you know, maybe be a little bit more absentee. Mm-hmm. And there are some that you really shouldn't be. Um, ours being one of those. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that would be one how involved you want to get. And then I guess the, the really the long and short of it is the people like who's running the company mm-hmm. how long have they been doing it what's their industry experience what's their background do you the main thing is do you trust them yeah. um always uh call talk to the other franchisees mm-hmm. not just the list of the ones that they give you mm-hmm. but like they'll, they'll give you a list of every franchisee in the whole system they have to so they'll give you a whole list of everyone and all their phone That's numbers good... i called every one of them hundred percent of them. What, and what did um, that conversation look and sound like typically across the board? Uh, what I called, it was like a uh, 90% happy, uh, 5% meh, and yeah. then 5% absolutely hated everything about, now, do you, <laughs> about do you the think company. That's just because they, they weren't passionate about the spa industry or they just didn't know what they were getting into. Cause that happens. Um, I, I, yeah, I think it was a, probably a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, the ones that I've seen, the, the the franchisees that I've seen struggle are the ones that do think it's sort of an abs- absentee ownership sort of situation. Yeah. So speaking of people, you obviously had to bring people on uh, to make yeah. this happen. Tell us a little bit about that process. How did you find the people to run your locations and be, you know, essentially brand ambassadors for you? So that is something I'm super proud of. I I really believe that we have the best team of best leadership team and the best team period in any of any Woodhouse and maybe of any spa in the country. I mean, I really think we are pretty top notch in that department. And um, the, I, I sort of have, I didn't know it at the time, but I was developing a strategy of promoting from within. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen a lot of people hire general managers right off the bat, you know, pay them 
huge salaries and then they inevitably end up not working out nine months later. And then it's like you just keep doing that over and over again. Mm -hmm. What we did was um, I basically acted as the general manager um, along with my wife at first until we realized that there's no way we could work together without murdering each other. (laughs) So then um, she kind of stepped out and I um, continued and acted basically as the GM. And then I found people that worked for me to take on small special projects. So Mm -hmm. I would assign a little bit of this to one person, a little bit of that to the other person. And then, you know, the cream sort of rose to the top. And now we've got a team of, um, well, we've got about 150 employees. And we've got a team of five, seven-ish leadership team people, Mm. um, every one of whom started at the front desk making you know, at the, at the time minimum wage, because we had no money. Now we pay more yeah. than that. But <laughs> um, so they, they have been in the trenches, they know what the deal is. And they, I mean, literally every one of them have been with me for more than 10 years. Oh, wow. So um, they, they, they haven't left. Now beyond wanting to you taking the, the GM role and not wanting to strangle your wife, what other <laughs> challenges do you, did you face that you didn't see coming as a young entrepreneur? Oh, boy. Um, well, the first was just uh, cash management. I mentioned it a little bit before. Yeah. Uh, I I guess would have expected a little more assistance from the franchisor on that one. Mm. Um, but I think it's sort of, again, you don't get help unless you ask for help. And I didn't ask for help. I was just kind of like, frankly, I was a little embarrassed that I was not doing financially as well as I thought I would. This was, mm. keep in mind, this is 2007, 2008, right when the housing market crashed. Mm. And I was new and I didn't know what was going on. I was scared. So, um, um, you know, we were burning through cash really fast and um, I hadn't paid myself anything, you know, Mm -hmm. so I was, you know, we were, it it was, it was, that was a struggle for sure. And then um, someone said to me one day, what if you just paid yourself a small salary, 25 grand a year, Mm -hmm. just do it. And then at least, and just see what happens. So I'm like, all right. So I did that. And I didn't notice any difference in our financials. Yeah. Did that make <laughs> so, you feel a little bit more motivated? It made me feel, yeah. It was like, okay, yeah. well, at least I'm getting something here. Yeah. I've, you know, dialed back my resentment level a little bit. Yeah. And then, um, you know, since then I've learned that just not everything is that important. You know, mm. really you got to pick your battles. Don't be so scared all the time and just, mm. uh, you know, roll with the punches a little bit. And if something happens, this too shall pass. And what you know, that's, it is what it is. I guess what battles do need to be picked then as the owner of a whole bunch of franchises? Well, all right. So uh, where I get involved now, like I mentioned, I've got a really good leadership team that kind of, they sort of run stuff. Well, no, you know, they do run stuff day to day. So where I get involved is fire, flood, or blood. Um, <laughs> nice. Any one of those three things happen, I get involved. Um, I uh, do the financial stuff. I mean, I uh, and I do legal. So yeah. Um, if it's going to get us sued, if it's going to get someone hurt, um, you know, that's the sort of stuff that I'm going to be very active in. Mm-hmm. Um, is it going to matter in, you know, is it going to matter in three years? Mm-hmm. If the answer is yes, I'm involved. If the answer is no, then I probably am not. So when did your, cause you were talking about, okay, struggling, you paid yourself $25,000 a year. When did you start to see that turn? Was that part of this new mindset that you adapted? Uh, now that uh, sort of that started to turn when I was able to start promoting those people and having them work in the business mm. and I would work on the business. You, you yeah. hear that. All, I'm sure you guys hear that all the time, but yeah. you know, it, it's, you trusted it them. was, yeah, delegating Delegate, yeah. things in a, in, in slowly, but surely. And the answer, as far as time frame goes, it took me about three years yeah. um, on the first store because I didn't know what I was doing. The second one was like, 12 months, you know. What, what and, does it take to be a good delegator as well? Because I know personally I can struggle at, at that. Um, and it's hard to find that that balance and that flow. What does it take to be a good delegate? That's a great question. Um, the first thing is I like to know that the people that I delegate stuff to think like me. So um, training, mm-hmm. right? Osmosis. I shared an off my, my now COO. And I shared an office and actually shared a desk. Like <laughs> I was here and she was like, no way to like get close foot away. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Dunky you know, donkeys. <laughs> yeah, it's right. And we, you know, she knows how I think she knows how I would answer almost every, at this point, almost every question. Yeah. Um, 
And then she did that to someone else. So now she's, you know, that, that ball is rolling downhill. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I feel like I, my, my brain has sort of, you know, the important things have transferred into these people and I trust them to do what I would do. Um, I think where people get into trouble is where they get someone and they say, all right, go off and do this. And the person is left without, you know, instruction or they don't know what the, what the, what the assignee, the manager wants, uh, what the results to look like. Um, You know, so being very clear with, with, with how you think and what you want from the person. But it sounds Um, like, and then, and then rewarding them and appreciating them, you know, yeah. paying them well. <laughs> but it sounds like it sounds like you've created yeah. though a culture where it's not just of yes people. You've created a culture of ownership. I guess you know, besides obviously training them on how you would like things to you know be responded to and um, kind of the framework essentially. How did you get them to really buy into being owners? Um, that's a great uh, great point and. I'm still working on it, but I will tell you if you, uh, you know, we talked a little bit before you mentioned EO, that entrepreneur organization that I'm in. That's probably my biggest takeaway that I've gotten since joining that organization is how to delegate better and how Mm -hmm. to elevate myself up out of the weeds Mm -hmm. and how to um, spend my time where it matters most Mm -hmm. and also how to train my people to spend their time where it matters most. Um, So, I forgot. I forgot your question, Patrick. Just, like, I guess like you, cl- you clearly have been able to create your team and make them feel like owners and part of the mission. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. guess how did you do that? Um, again, just a lot of time and a lot of trust, and you know, goal setting, expectation. Where we are not like a, a yes culture. We are a. I prefer to be told no. Like, I don't want people to do things just because I say to do them. Um, if you think what I tell you to do is stupid, by, by all means, <laughs> speak up and let me know. Um, <laughs> kind of have like a three-part, I have a little three-part test. Every, everyone that works for us, if they, they should know this, they, you know, I would love to tell you that you could walk in and ask anyone this. But, um, We're going to test the, it out. Oh, please don't. Um, <laughs> but, you know, is it good for the business? Is it good for the staff? And is it good for um, uh, the guests? And if the answer is all yes to all three of those things, we're going to, the you know, we're going to do it. So um, mm. everyone that works for us knows if you want something done, run it past that three-part test. And if it, if it meets the thing, it's, it's, it's sort of a no-brainer for us. Mm. And you really did a great job of segueing us into the EO conversation because yeah. I would love to continue that and touch on that a little bit more. How did you become president of entrepreneur of the Cincinnati chapter of Entrepreneurs Organization? Um, I got involved, uh, a, actually, a friend of my son. My son played on a lacrosse team, and one of the other parents got, got me involved. Mm. So um, – and I didn't know what the group was at the time. Um, and, and also, uh, it, talk uh, about what the group is specifically. Yeah. So um, it, as it turns out, it's, it's just an amazing group of entrepreneurs that it's a global organization with like 14,000, 15,000 members. And um, everyone in this organization, it's built on trust and respect. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, I feel like it's a group. It's almost like a fraternity of people who you can rely on to help you out if you have any problems. Mm. Um everyone's very willing to share their experiences. And um, the uh, goal of it is to engage entrepreneurs to learn and grow. And it's just some of the programs, the educational programs that I've taken um, as part of it have been, you know, sort of life altering. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. one of the, one of them being, you know, define, defining what you're really good at. I think a lot of people don't really know what, what they're great at. Mm. Um, And, you know, having a program or, people who have done this, been there and done that, and uh, can help you figure out what makes you, you. And then once you know that, you can fill the gaps with people who are strong where you're weak. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what we've done. And it's worked out great. And then as far as how I became president, yeah. I quickly got, I like to call it getting roped in to being on the local board. Yep. I got roped into being on the board. And, uh, I'm really glad though, because yeah. I'm sort of, I'm good if you put me in a, in a room with people I know, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm, I'm sort of an introverted extrovert, if that, if that makes sense. So totally. this sort of forced me to, to really, to 
being on the board to, to meet and know and work with people who I hadn't met before, didn't know. And I also um, really enjoyed being the dumbest person in the room. Like I feel, I, I felt like there's a lot of smart people a part of this. So many smart people. And I was like, how do I not, how could I have been open for 10 years and I'm just now learning about X, Y, Z? Like, how is this yeah. even possible? If I had known about this five years ago, I'd be retired by now. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so uh, what are the requirements you know, that, to be a part of EO? So, yeah. EO's requirements are, long and short of it, is two things. Number one, you have to gross more than a million dollars a year. Okay. Your business has to gross more than a million dollars a year. And number two is you have to be the owner or founder of that business. Um, and so it can basically be any type the, of business. It could be a startup. It any could business. be franchise. It could be yep. LLC, C-Corp. Cool. Correct. Yeah. So, um, the, you know, I guess the litmus test is can you get fired? And if the answer is yes, then you cannot join. Um, franchises are interesting because, we're, you know, I'm not the founder of the Woodhouse, yeah. but I am the founder of my little portion of the Woodhouse. So they make an exception for that. And, um, you know, I am the owner of my company. So. So talk about then, I want to kind of dive into that more along the lines of you just said, I'm learning things that I never learned before. And why didn't I know that, you know, five years ago, can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah. Any examples? Sure. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, um, gosh, I wish I could list out every wonderful thing that I've learned from the organization, but what comes top of mind is I went to a, um, I went to a seminar, uh, actually presented on by another EO guy from Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And um, it was about how to um, automate and delegate your business. Mm. And he just provided all these different websites and different tools and technology to duplicate and to scale. And it was just stuff that I'd never thought of. One of, uh, one of the things that, that we did as a result of that is we hired a, um, a virtual assistant, mm. um, Lou, who's in the Philippines. And I always like was like passe about that. I thought it was a terrible thing to do. And after doing this, it was it's been like a it's honestly been a, a, a ginormous game changer in our yeah. business. She's unbelievable. She's a part of our team. She zooms into our meetings every week. Yeah. Um, she is. She's fantastic. working when you're asleep. She is, but she works when we're awake too. Like yeah. I could call her right now. It's eleven forty-five like her time, and she'd answer. She's just the best. And the amount of stuff that she's able to do in the background has freed everyone else on our team up to do things that they're really, you know, things that they're great at, yeah. not, ex, you know, Excel spreadsheets and stuff. She's, she's the master of Excel now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, I, I'm curious as, you know, we move into 20, 2022, which is kind of crazy that I'm even saying that, mm -hmm. um, where has time gone? As a collective group, as a collective EO group, what are some topic discussions that are at the top of the board these days? Um, you know, well, a couple of things. First of all, we are super excited. We're going to be hosting. So there's regional events and global events that happen throughout the world with EO. And we are just psyched. We got announced that we are going to be the regional event um, for 2022. It is the greatest. I mean, it's, on, it's such a great event um, every year. Um, the last, I did not get to go this year, but last year I went and we were in Dallas and mm. we went to the Cowboys stadium and it was just us. It was like 400 people and George Bush came out and spoke like, it was like That's insane. Right. Yeah. And our like, surprise what? guest. Yeah, exactly. It was the coolest Casual. thing. I'm like, why are they, why is there so much security? Oh, okay. It's George that Bush. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was really neat. Um, so that's the one, that's one thing we're focusing on for next year. The, the other thing that, that we're focusing on is, you know, we had a year and a half of no social lives, right? So um, just creating um, kick-ass events, that's yeah. it. You know, doing really fun stuff with our members and um, engaging them socially uh, yeah. with because I imagine when you get everybody in a room, then these ideas start flowing and yes, oh, yeah. like, everyone's going to be like, oh, oh, is this for networking? Well, of course it's for network. The network will come naturally, I imagine. But the yeah. idea is to really get more ideas flowing. It is. And the one thing I love about this organization is that it's a, there's a pretty strict non-solicitation policy. So mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about going to an event and having some other member try to sell me office furniture, right? Like, <laughs> it, in fact, not only do I have to worry, like, you'll get kicked out if you do that. Oh, wow. <laughs> you cannot do that. That's cool. So um, it's really about learning from each other and just, you know, enjoying each other's uh, company. Mm. And it's just, 
it's incredible. Like even, I, I don't know, I was talking to someone last week and I mentioned something about needing a car or something, uh, yeah. uh, needing a ride to the airport. He's like, oh, call my guy so-and-so. And, you know, you. just stupid things like that, that, that <laughs> you know, that's networking, but it's coming from someone who I trust like they're a member of my family. Yeah, I it's mean, an act it's, of generosity. So yeah. I um, hate beating a dead horse here with this question of, okay, we're coming out of a pandemic. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. yes. What is one thing that you've seen as part of the EO organization uh, that business owners are dealing with currently? And, you know, what do you, what do you see as owner of a hospitality, you know, service? What, you know, what are you seeing, ha- I guess, you know, the mar- in the market currently and where it's going? That is a very easy question to answer. Hmm. The number one thing that everyone on earth right now is struggling with is people. Yep. Finding, finding employees, mm-hmm. um, and the number two thing is getting stuff, logistics mm-hmm. and supply chain. That's, the, that, that, that's pretty much all I hear um, as far as complaints. I mean, customers are there. People want to spend money. They're ready to roll, but we can't sell them X, Y, Z because we don't either have someone to serve them mm-hmm. or we don't have a product to sell them. You mm-hmm. know? And if you could um, make the rules, how would you fix these issues? Well, that is above my pay grade, but I can tell you what we've done. <laughs> yeah, what have you done to address some of that? So, um, I think the first thing that that we do is we gave everyone a raise. Um, we pay everyone more now, um, and guess what? As a result of that, we have to charge more. And you know, you heard inflation, and and it's going to happen. It is what it is. It's basically we're we're getting taxed, but it's not a tax. So um, uh, that that helped. And the second thing we do is treat our people with dignity and respect. <laughs> it should go without saying, but yeah. like, I think a lot of places don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we really value the people that work for us and we try and do the right thing, um, you know, with, with whenever, we, whenever we can. And the third thing is urgency. I, I think the biggest thing that we've done successfully in the last five months, six months, maybe since July, mm-hmm. is when we get someone that applies, we are on the phone with them immediately. I don't care when, what time it is. Um, I've got uh, someone that works for me, Kelsey, who's like taken it and made it her mission to hire people. And she's hired like 40 people in the oh, last wow. five months. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. It, it, you but probably shouldn't have said that. You're, like, you're gonna ha- Kelsey's yeah. going to be having job offers now from everyone. Try- for, recruiting, <laughs> yeah, for, recruiting. for recruiting companies. Well, try and steal her. I dare you. So... Um, <laughs> That's good. Confident. I love it. Well, no, I mean, listen, to be honest, in all honesty, if she got an offer that was better than what she, what's happening here, I would applaud her and say, go off and, 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 and spread your wings. Um, but I am pretty confident that she wouldn't leave because I, you know, she's part of our team. She's Mm -hmm. like part of our family. And, um, I think that if you're able to create that as an owner, um, it it certainly alleviates the problem of attrition, but, Mm -hmm. It also just makes my life so much easier not having to worry about that sort of thing. That's but she'll, back to the hiring, though, she'll, she'll get on the phone with someone. She'll do a Zoom call at 9 o'clock at night um, or, yeah. or 7 o'clock in the morning. Whatever it takes quickly to meet with these people mm-hmm. is um, mm. mission critical. And She's flexible. It, yeah. So um, gone are the days of business hours, I think, mm-hmm. um, especially with regards to this sort of thing. And in are the days of using Zoom effectively. And, um, you know, we, she had a, this is a great example. She had a call yesterday, an interview yesterday, and um, it was for our store in Dayton. And before she would have had to schedule that out, um, she would have had to put it in her, you know, in her day. She would have had to drive to Dayton and she would have had to meet with this person. Now she's like, can you meet with me on Zoom in 15 minutes? Yeah. And she's at our house and she's knocking it out. And the bonus to that is what ha- I don't know if ever, if anyone else has this experience, but occasionally we get people who just no show for interviews, and this was the case yesterday. This person no showed, so she would have driven all the way to Dayton for no for reason. No show, yeah, yeah. yeah. For and a no the gas, show. gas right. prices don't help you right now sure. either. So. And now, and now it's you know it took five minutes out of her life, and she's like, okay, check check that one off. Oh, so. And I kind of I kind of want to backtrack just a little bit too. Um, cause you're making really great points and I, I want to go back to the idea of your entrepreneurs organization and what as a city, Cincinnati, what do you hope for the city as we move forward for young entrepreneurs and our startup culture here? 
So that that is something that I'm super passionate about. And mm-hmm. I think that Cincinnati has done a great job of um, embracing that entrepreneurial culture. Mm-hmm. And we've got a lot of uh, startups and accelerator programs and incubators, but a lot of them are in the tech space Mm. um, or the biomed space and things like that. So we rolled out a program called the EOA, EO Accelerator. Mm. um, And we started that last year, get get the ball rolling last year. We officially launched it in May. And that is for entrepreneurs who have gross revenues of between 250000 and a million. Mm-hmm. So not quite enough to qualify for EO. That was my next but, question. Yeah. yeah but, because if you don't have um, you know, a million, how, how, right. can, how so, can you strive to get there? Yeah. Yeah. And so this, it, it's called the Accelerator Program because it accelerates their growth over that million-dollar mark. Um, and uh, it's been great. So no, we've got, I think, 12 members in that program now. Cool. Is that and perfect? that program, I, I would like to see that program – be less tech focused mm. and more, I don't know, other focused, like CPG, people like me yeah. that own spas yeah, or um, restaurants or, yeah. So I guess, is that open to anyone anywhere or yeah. is, what, what are the requirements besides the revenue? Uh, you have to be the owner or founder of your company. Got it. That's it. Yeah. And then from, from a base level, right? So you have this program, EOA, you have the EO, which is you're, you're making a million plus. What about, what advice do you have to give to someone who is starting at ground level as an entrepreneur, especially in this city? Well, let me back up. If you're grossing a million plus. Okay. I do definitely do not make a million plus. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's my, that's my. <laughs> not <mistake>. yet. <laughs> we're getting there. Yeah, but we're imagine like, But starting really, really at yeah. ground level, what advice do you have to give? Uh, learn everything from, uh, from everyone you can, um, prioritize your education, read a lot of books, web, take webinars, um, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you, um, and, uh, never burn bridges. You know, yeah. it's sort of the, I feel like I just said everything that everyone else says, but like, <laughs> it's so true, I but really it's, do it's think, practice what you preach, yeah. right? It's easier said than done. I, I think I, I really believe that continuing education is a big, big thing that maybe sometimes gets missed by owners mm-hmm. um, because they're so in the weeds with running their business and start, you know, yeah. you know, paying the bills and being the person that does everything that they don't carve out any time to learn how to do stuff better or more efficiently. Yeah. And learning stuff is absolutely critical. You cannot know everything that you need to know. So if you had to structure some sort of entrepreneurial education, do you have, you know, two or three books off the top of your head that you would recommend? Yeah, sure. So the first one um, is what we use as a sort of a baseline for that uh, accelerator program that we have. It's called Scaling Up. It's by um, Bert Harnish, I believe. And uh, it is a great sort of how-to guide for scaling your business. Um, and then it depends what your business is uh, for other stuff, for other books. Mm-hmm. I personally have read a lot of books on service. Um, I got, I wish I could, well, hold on. I've actually got, yeah, I've got like, you know, I've got like books, look, all these books here. I'm showing them on the screen now. You can't <laughs> see if you're listening, but um, you know, Traction is another one that I like. That's probably not like a beginner's book. That's a good book. But it, it's about an entrepreneurial operating system and how to, how to um, you know, structure your business and your meetings. Cool. Um, I love Malcolm Gladwell. Um, all of, not necessarily business books, but there's a lot of business takeaways in his mm-hmm. teachings and strategic, um, strategic thinking and critical thinking. Yeah. And so when do you just, find you know, time accepting... to read these books too? Um, I read when I'm on vacation. I read when I'm on airplanes and mostly I don't read. I listen. Um, I do a lot of audiobooks. Yep. In the car. Um, when I'm mowing my lawn, like my wife's like, why is it taking you so long to mow your lawn? (laughs) I'm going like one mile an hour because I'm listening to a good book or a good podcast or whatever. You're you're doing the crisscross patterns to make sure that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I got to hold. Oh honey, I got to make the lawn look perfect. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I guess, you know, you've, so, cle- yeah, listen. you've clearly learned a lot from being involved with EO, your own experience, and reading books and listening to other people's experience. What is probably the most important thing that you learned? It's just about treating people well, you know, trying to just be in a, be in a good human. Hmm. 
you look yourself at the eye in the end of the, in the mirror and you say, am I okay with myself? Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, how do you walk um, through the world every day? Yeah, exactly. What's, what do you, who do you leave? What do you leave in your wake? Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to, to consider how your actions affect others and how, you know, obviously we're not all perfect, but no. um, well, quickly pivoting when, when you realize you screwed up yeah. and, and owning it, right? Like, no one's perfect. And when you screw up, don't try and hide it. Just mm-hmm. look at it as a learning opportunity and move on. Accountability, you know? man. So with that said, the holidays are approaching. And yes. if someone wants to maybe give a gift, if they need to unwind, all of that, oh, wow. let's do a little call to action for wow, how everybody awesome. can find uh, the Woodhouse Day Spas. And along with if they want to learn more about the EO. Yeah, so um, first let me plug EO um, okay. because uh, I really think that if, if there's anyone listening who is a an owner or founder of a company or who works for the owner of a founder of a, of a company, mm-hmm. and you need help, right? Like you don't really know where to go mm. and you don't, you don't know what you don't know yeah. and you want to level up, this is by far the best thing you can do for your business and personal life. It's not just about business. We do a lot of family events and things like that in EO as well, which is sort of unique. So um, I would encourage you to Google entrepreneur organization or Google EO, um, or you can get out a pen and write this website down, which I know you won't do, but it's, it's <laughs> eonetwork.org or eocincinnati.org. Either one of those um, is, is where you need to go for that. As far as Woodhouse goes, yes. yes, of course, we'd love to sell you a gift card and some massages and facials and spa treatments. So uh, you can, again, just Google Woodhouse Cincinnati and, um, or Woodhouse Dayton. Yeah. Or if you're listening to this anywhere in the country, just Google Woodhouse. And, um, you know, rising tide raises all ships. So grab a gift card for the holidays and um, come in for some relaxation. Hey, I'm here. I'm always here for the experiential gifts. I don't need yes. things. I'm, I'm no one needs more stuff. Great. <laughs> Allie yeah. wants a little R and R. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Anywho, this was Chris. Thank you so yes, much. This was uh, we. I know personally, I learned a lot. This was a, a new topic for us talking about um, franchising and franchisees. So, uh, this this hopefully our listeners are able to take something away today. Yeah, happy happy to uh, happy to join you and you know reach out anytime. He just dropped a wealth of knowledge. If anybody could see my notebook right now, this is my indicator as to how many different takeaways and great nuggets <laughs> of knowledge that our interviewee gives us. And I have three full pages of notes. If they were to see the desk right now, I have lots of sticky notes. Lots of sticky notes. I wanna, and I want to start with his. Um, I want to start with the idea of delegation. Because personally, I know this is something that I could struggle with. And some of that's a control issue. Some of that is just truly, where do I look? I don't know how. And I love what he had to say about delegating. And a lot of that goes back to trusting the people that he works with Mm -hmm. and knowing who they are as individuals and then giving them the lane to run with it, right? Unless there's a fire there. <laughs> don't necessarily call him. <laughs> no, I think delegation was great in the sense that he truly does trust his team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that's a key ingredient so that you can delegate. Um, so that was one of my uh, key takeaways on delegation. But I guess my second te- takeaway was he's constantly learning, mm-hmm. right? He's learned how to delegate better and, you know, make help people become owners and he's still learning how to help his team members become you know owners in the business right and he's learned you know read the the legal documents before you give it to the lawyer uh yeah and he's still learning today as part of eo so i think you know that's one theme that i think anyone can take away is constantly learn and it's so it's so easy to get comfortable Right. So it's it's a little bit of constantly learning, but also understanding that try to constantly create small mini goals for yourself. Mm-hmm. Because in my mind, if you're learning, you're also setting goals and then hopefully you're you're slowly getting closer and closer to those goals. And it's very obvious that, you know, Chris is a go getter and he's a doer, but he also really believes in in the people that he's investing in and what he's doing, which then just he's involved. He's hands on. 
And that is kind of my third takeaway is not only constantly learning, but also in order to constantly be learning, you have to be involved and you have to be aware of not only yourself, so understanding again, how do you operate, um, but then working within different organizations, whether it's growing a franchise and working with those people or the EO group, which is He's great present, for our city. Right. Mm-hmm. He's very present in what he does and in his conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think just being present and aware mm-hmm. is another thing that we can all work on. Amen. And on that note, Ali, I think uh, we would love for our listeners to be present yes. over at our social wah, media pages. Wah, 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 wah. So Facebook, <laughs> Twitter, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, you name it, we're there. Go check us out at whenpigsfly.fm and that you can download any of our past episodes from anywhere where you listen to podcasts. So Apple, Spotify, you know, Reddit, I don't know, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, You can go download them. That helps us out. Uh, Write us a review. Send us feedback. You can email us at hosts at whenpigsfly.fm. That is hosts at whenpigsfly.fm. And Allie, what most importantly should they be doing? Most importantly, if you like this podcast, tell a friend tell a cousin tell a mother tell a brother tell your dog it's fine tell somebody (laughs) tell a friend please yes word of mouth is a huge help to us so on that note ali i think it's time to cheers 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 and here's some necessary legal stuff Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interest in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts Company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employ us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on this show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync. <laughs>